listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Going out of the Holy Spirit on all believers. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given uh, at special times to certain people, uh, but it wasn't uh, poured out on all God's people permanently. That is the mark of the church. That is the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers um, so that they are empowered to do what the church is supposed to do, uh, which is to worship God, to spread the good news of the gospel, uh, and to grow uh, in knowledge of Christ. So, The gift of the Holy Spirit to all believers is something new, um, but it's not something that was unplanned. Uh, God had long promised this, and this is why in Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the other disciples, and by disciples, by the way, I don't mean just the 12, I mean all uh, the believers who were there gathered in one place. Acts tells us it was about 120 people. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of them started speaking in tongues um, so that many people could hear the gospel. And to explain what is going on, Peter quotes from the prophet Joel, and this is what he says. This is what Joel says. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Pentecost marks the age of the church, the age when the Holy Spirit empowers God's people to spread the good news to the ends of the earth. That's what Pentecost is all about. Today's reading is from Acts 1, 12 through 2, verse 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. 
and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostolship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The word of the Lord. Have you ever read a section of scripture and when you got finished you were just like, boy, it's kind of boring. Have you ever had that? Um, I know some of you have that with the genealogies where you're just like, so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. And you're like, are we, are we done yet? And maybe as a pastor, I'm not supposed to say this, but, you know, I was reading this text this last week, and I was reading it over and over again, and I'm like, man, this text, you know, with the exception of the weird, gross part about Judas, compared to the rest of the book of Acts, this is really boring, to be honest with you. It's just boring. Um, Honestly, it kind of feels like we got invited to read the minutes from some Christian organization's board meeting. Right? I mean, just think about it, the layout of this passage for a moment. Those of you who have served on boards, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, like have, you have who was present at the meeting listed, the 120, like Christina said. Um, they, they list off those who are present. Then there's some prayer, which is normal. And then there's the discussion of an important issue. We need uh, another apostle to take Judas's place. Then they have a vote. Right? That's basically what happens. You just get the minutes of the board meeting. And I don't know about you. I've served on quite a few boards at this point, and I'm not signing up for any more. I've, t- I've told my wife that, like, no more boards, honey. I'm just not very good at board work. It's not really my thing. Because I think board meetings are called that for a reason. They're boring. They're just not that exciting. Of course, I've been in a few exciting ones over the years, but most of them pretty you know, pretty laid back, pretty dull. There's not a lot of exciting things happening. So as I was reading this text over and over, studying for this sermon, I was like, ah, there's just not much going on here. I mean, what am I going to say? What's this? This sermon's going to be a total dud, and here I am going on vacation. I don't want to leave people on a dud. There's not even anything funny here. I mean, Judas, there's no joking around about that. What are you going to do with this text? And suddenly then it dawned on me, maybe that's the point. That the church without the Holy Spirit is actually boring and pretty lame. Because you, know, you understand, this text is a snapshot of what the church would be like apart from the Holy Spirit, right? It's this weird, awkward in-between time. Yes, this is the community of faith gathered around faith in the risen Lord Jesus. They've received the Great Commission just before this. Jesus then ascended to heaven, and now they wait on the Holy Spirit, but they haven't received him yet. So they're... They're just kind of doing what they know how to do, and they're pretty boring. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at why the church is boring without the Holy Spirit. 
And of course, last week we kicked off this new series called Get Out. Um, And we said we're going to go back and forth between Exodus and Acts, comparing and contrasting these two narratives of how God constituted for himself a people, both in Exodus as they come up out of the land of Egypt into the promised land, and then now in Acts as the church is born and is told to go out into the nations, out into the world on mission. And lastly, we looked at how the people of Israel waited on God in the midst of slavery and oppression, how they cried out to God and God alone for rescue in the midst of their helplessness. And today, the parallel is pretty easy to see here in the book of Acts. Again, God's people, we find, are waiting on him. They're crying out to him. They are, like the Israelites, helpless, powerless. They need him. They wait on him to rescue them from their fear and to lead them out into the mission that God has called them to. They wait on him to take them from boring to unbelievable. And so with that, I want to look at four reasons why the church is boring without the Holy Spirit that I think we see pretty clearly in this text. And the first reason the church without the Holy Spirit is boring is because it's fearful. Um, I remember a wise counselor once telling me, Dave, if you want a safe life, get ready to have a boring life. And he compared it to like a roller coaster. He said, look, you know, getting on a roller coaster, it it makes your stomach turn. It it produces some anxiety in you. There's a little bit of fear there, right? Like what if the thing comes off the tracks, you know? uh, So you can always choose just to stay in line and not get on the roller coaster. But that's boring, right? So if you're going to, and he was totally right. The most wonderful things in life take risk. Safety cannot be your top priority in life. If you want to have a really full life, it'll just end up really, really boring. And here we find the church living a very safe existence, or at least as safe as they can. You might say safety is their top priority in this moment. They're in this upper room, which sounds really familiar to the way we found the disciples after Jesus' crucifixion, right? It's almost the same situation. They're together, but they're in this locked room. Listen how John 20 Um, verse 19, describes the disciples immediately after Jesus' crucifixion when Jesus comes and finds them. On the evening of that day, the first week, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, which is one of my favorite passages because, you know, Jesus knows how terrified they are. And so he just like, I think I'll just come through the walls and and see how they react, you know, but, but, but they're terrified. And again, we find them in this passage tucked away in this upper room, perhaps the same room they ate the Passover supper with Jesus. And to be fair, they're being obedient to Jesus' command, right? He told them, wait in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit that I promised. So they're doing what they're told, but we still sense this fear in them. And they've had this for a while, right? Before Jesus is crucified, they're, they're riddled with fear. That's why they all abandon Jesus at his greatest moment of need, Then, of course, after Jesus rises from the dead, he forgives them but finds them living in fear still. And here, after Jesus has ascended, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, but that fear problem is still there. They're still tucking themselves away, cloistered off in this private, secure location, which is a huge contrast to what we're going to see the rest of the way in Acts. I think it's also important to note that the disciples are praying. They're in one accord and they're praying, which is awesome. But I kind of wonder what their prayers were like at this point. You know, um, when, when we're living in fear, everything's affected, even our prayers. And I would imagine that many of their prayers just focused on keeping them safe, keeping them from being killed, facing a similar fate as their Lord Jesus. 
protecting them in the midst of persecution. But of course, all this, even their prayers are going to radically change soon when the Holy Spirit falls upon them. But for now, let's be honest, they're pretty boring. Now, it's hard to draw direct parallels to the church today because, of course, we have the Holy Spirit, which changes absolutely everything about us. But we, too, can still remain and live in fear, can't we? I mean, wouldn't you be honest? We can do that. We can choose to follow our flesh and our anxieties over faith and trust in the Holy Spirit to lead us. I mean, churches do it all the time. They, they choose a safe, um, calculated existence over the wild adventure that it is to follow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what will it be for us, Life Church? That's been my question this past week. Are we going to risk and follow the leading of the Spirit or are we just going to make safety our maximum priority? You know, it's tempting for me. Like the, the safe bet feels really good a lot of times. Sometimes it doesn't feel like, hey, we're just trusting the Holy Spirit. We're just, we're, we're putting all our eggs in that basket. But you can't have it both ways. You can't have a safe, safe existence that's completely calculated and you can control everything and you do everything in your own strength and have the wonderful, exciting adventure of following the Holy Spirit. You can't have both of those things. So the church without the Holy Spirit is boring because it's fearful. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is the church without the Holy Spirit is boring because it's self-righteous. Have you ever noticed how enjoyable it is to talk about the sins of other people as opposed to talking about your own sins? It's way more fun, isn't it? Or have you ever heard someone that just got through a particular struggle, maybe not with a sin, but even like an addiction or something that they were trying to get through, right? Like I've heard smokers do this, like somebody who just gets off the patch, like the next week they're like, smokers, you know? And it's like, they just got through it, you know? Like, hey, come on, you should probably have some more compassion because you just got over that. Well, that's just human nature. That's what we do. And whenever you see that kind of an environment, you know, the Holy Spirit's probably not present, Right? One of the things the Holy Spirit does when he comes upon a group of people is he convicts them of their own sin. He doesn't come in and say, hey, have you seen what they're doing? And have you, did you notice how awful they are and, they, and point out their sins? No, the Holy Spirit convicts them, you personally. Something Jack and I have talked about of the revival that he was at in Brownsville. One of the markers of that revival was people were just cut to the heart with their own sin. They were just repenting. They were just deeply, deeply aware of their own brokenness and their own need for Jesus' forgiveness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And several commentators point out the irony of Peter here, our, our beloved Peter. You know, he stands up and he starts giving this speech about Judas. And so just think about it. We have the person who denied Jesus three times after Jesus told him, that's what you're going to do. Okay, he called it. So he was warned about it, and he still did it. And Peter gets up and gives this speech about Judas and how awful Judas was to betray Jesus. And I'm just like, if I'm Peter at that moment, I'm not saying anything. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I don't want to remember the night. I don't want to remember every, all the details around Jesus' betrayal the night before his crucifixion. I don't want to think about that because what do I have to think about then? What I did, deny, you know, denying that I even know the Lord Jesus three times. It's like the kettle call in the pot black here. And though we don't get to see the church exist for very long without the Holy Spirit, 
while they wait on the Holy Spirit, we see this spot where they're kind of just drifting towards remembering the sins of others. And I think that can be a huge temptation for us as a church when we operate outside of being led by the Spirit. Rather than being led in love to all those people who still need to hear the good news of Jesus, we can become critical of them, right? We can start looking down our noses at them. We can start scoffing at them for what they believe or don't believe. We can become really focused on people's past rather than the great future that God has for them. The church without the Holy Spirit is boring because it's fearful and it's self-righteous. But thirdly, we see the church without the Holy Spirit is boring because it's ingrown. You ever had an ingrown toenail? Ah, awful. It's painful, isn't it? It's an awful condition. Sometimes you have to have it like surgically cut out. It's where the toenail actually grows down into the nail bed, into the, into the tissues, rather than out like it's supposed to. And the same thing can happen with the church, right? We can, we can, be, we can grow kind of ingrown, and it's detrimental. Um, those of you who have been in church for a while, you know what this kind of feels like, right? Where Everybody starts complaining about the or arguing about the color of the carpet or what songs we're singing or who's getting the most attention when the church just becomes all about us, just, just intense self-focus. That's what it means to be ingrown. And of course, the church is partly for us, of course. The church's mission is to grow disciples to make disciples of Jesus, and so that includes each one of us, to grow us into people who are more and more like the Lord Jesus, to, to work off of our rough edges, our vices, and grow us more into virtue. So it's partly about us, but it's also about all those people out there who have not heard of the good news of Jesus, who are not yet being discipled. So the Holy Spirit, a big part of his job in the church is to prevent us from becoming ingrown, because that's always the temptation. Right? We're always kind of bending in. Luther said that sin was the self bending in on the self. That's what sin is, right? It's just, it's just ultimate selfishness, self-focus constantly. And so the church is always fighting that ingrown tendency. And here, there's not blatant evidence that the church is super ingrown yet. They haven't had enough time, honestly. But we do notice that pretty much everything they do in this kind of board meeting, with the exception of prayer, and who knows what they're praying about, Everything's about them, right? It's all very inward focused at the moment. Again, I think even their location is significant. And they're, they're up in this upper inner room, right? They're tucked away. They're not talking about getting out anytime soon, sharing this good news of the risen Lord Jesus. And of course, they're being obedient, so that's good. But they're taking on this thrilling task of just replacing Judas. That's what they're doing, right? It's, it's, it's like, wow. That's what you're doing? You've just been given the Great Commission, you know, to make disciples of all nations. And then they're like, I, I don't know what to do. Let's, let's replace Judas and let's talk about him. Uh, which, of course, leads to them nominating two candidates who are worthy. They can't choose between them, so they cast lots. And the point is there's nothing really, really wrong with any of the stuff that they're doing there. But it's all just internal stuff. It's all just business items. It's all just kind of board meeting stuff. Certainly important stuff, but none of it is outward focused. It's all internal. It's all inward. Let's remember, they've just been given this great commission, and yet here they sit. Out of obedience, yes, but also because their hearts have not been turned from inward to outward, and that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He's going to say, get out. Go. We'll note that we're going to see a very different church shortly. 
Now, what about us? What about Life Church? You know, I wonder what percentage of our time and our money and our energy is just spent on us, right? Um, how ingrown are we right now? Sometimes it's a good question to ask as leadership. Um, certainly, there are inward types of things that we got to do, right? We got to keep the lights on, and we got to um, pay our taxes, and a zillion other inward kinds of things. All that stuff is fine and good and important. But the question is, are we looking out at all? Are we considering the need in the world? Are we considering those people who have not yet heard the name of Jesus, those people who are not yet discipled? Because that's our mission, right? That's what the risen Jesus told us to do, go and make disciples of all nations. So the more ingrown we are, the less obedient to Jesus we are, but also the more boring we are. It's just boring to look at us. We don't have a good story. If the Holy Spirit has a say, I believe he would say, I want you to get out. I want you to move out and not stay internally focused. So the church without the Spirit is boring because it's fearful, because it's self-righteous, but also because it's ingrown. And finally, the church without the Spirit is boring because it's powerless. Um, any Spider-Man fans in here or just Marvel movie fans? Uh, I love Spider-Man. I have uh, for a long time. And I love it because it's a story of a regular guy, you know, Peter Parker, who just gets bit by a spider. And now he's got this amazing spidey gene. That's a huge upgrade, right? Like he just develops these incredible muscles. Now he can swing between buildings. And I remember one time I watched one of the first Spidey movies. I, I was driving crazy after the movie because I was just so jacked up about it. And I got pulled over for it, you know? Like, but I mean, isn't it fun to imagine what it would be like to get that kind of an internal upgrade? I mean, that'd be pretty awesome. You, you, just, you just admit it. You'd love to swing between buildings. I would. Well, friends, we're about to see some things here in the book of Acts that are just mind-blowing from ordinary people just like you and me who are simply filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only change. Like, things that you could never imagine are possible Everyone in this group, this 120 plus a bunch of other people that come to faith in Jesus, they're about to get a major software upgrade. But right now, nothing much is happening, at least nothing supernatural. Everything is pretty explainable in natural terms right now. Like they're just doing business as usual as they wait. And remember why, why they're waiting, right? Remember the reason why? Well, Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. So he's like, you're going to need power to do what I'm about to tell you to do, and, and so wait for it. Um, so right now, they are powerless. They look it, they feel it, and that's why they're struggling with the things they're struggling with. That's why they're afraid and timid and inwardly focused. But soon, when they're clothed with power, everything's going to change. Everything's going to be different. And this is super convicting for us as a church because, you know, we have the Holy Spirit. We are a continuation of Acts chapter 2. But don't you feel like sometimes that we as the church live like Acts chapter 1 church? Like just kind of stuck, just kind of doing the day-to-day, -day, the businessy kinds of things, just doing what we know how to do in our own power and our own feeble strength? What's the problem? Well, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you know, the church can operate outside of its power source. Right? It's, it's like that float, that standard oil float that we talked about that ran out of gas. It's like, how ironic. You know, this, this float that's sponsored by this oil company, you know, 
has no power, has no gasoline, has no fuel. We can do that with the Holy Spirit too. We can resist the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can say, no, Holy Spirit, we'd rather just do things on our own in our own feeble strength rather than wait on you and ask for your power and leadership. So even though the church has the Holy Spirit, it's still important that we wait on him, that we seek him, that we pray, that we ask for his guidance and direction. You know, the disciples really demonstrated this over and over throughout Acts. This is not the last prayer meeting that they have in Acts. Like, the Holy Spirit comes, but that doesn't mean they just automatically know what to do. Um, fervent, constant prayer was a regular thing in their lives. They're always doing that, always waiting on the Holy Spirit. And so, the same is true for us. We don't automatically know what to do just because we have the Holy Spirit. There's still this process of asking and seeking and waiting on Him that needs to happen. The difference between us and this boring church in Acts 1 is that we have the Holy Spirit now, and so at any moment, anything is possible, right? Anytime we go out and do the work of the kingdom, we know that hearts can be changed and people can come to faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? You can get the most hardened atheist, and all of a sudden their heart can be changed, and they see Jesus for who he is, and their whole life is turned around. That's an incredible miracle, you understand. Um, we can see addictions broken off people. I've seen that in my life. Whereas like this person was walking down this path, no hope, just buried in drugs and alcohol or whatever. And then all of a sudden, their life, they meet Christ filled with the Holy Spirit and their life changes completely. They're, they're just a different person. They're almost unrecognizable. Um, Physical miracles can happen. Like with the Holy Spirit, literally anything is possible. There's never a dull moment with the Spirit. Literally, we go from boring to anything is possible. So I don't know where this message is finding you today. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Thank you so much for being here today. We're always so grateful um, when people come who are not who are not. Um, haven't confessed faith in Jesus yet. It's wonderful to have you here. The invitation for you today is to leave your boring life and come to the wild adventure of following Jesus by the power of the Spirit. It is not a safe life, though. I have to tell you that. I have to warn you of that. This can and will cost you everything. It costs Jesus his life. You could lose everything but you'll gain everything that really matters. And so we're going to invite you to come today. There'll be people up here to pray with you and introduce you to that life in Jesus. But for the rest of us who do have this gift of the Holy Spirit, I want to close by um, just asking us to kind of enter into a time of prayer and welcoming the Spirit again. Jeannie's going to come up and close with us for a minute. You know, I have this friend who has a marketing company, and they came up with, I think they came up with this little slogan called Keep Sioux Falls Boring. And they put it on all their pens and stuff like that. And it's, it's one of those catchy kind of phrases where you're like, gee, what does that mean? It gets you thinking about Sioux Falls. And I was thinking about that in preparing this sermon. You know, like, this is kind of a recipe in Acts 1 of how to keep the church boring, right? How do you keep the church boring? Well, whatever you do, do not let the Holy Spirit have any place at all. That's how you keep the church boring. Now, on the contrary, how do you do the opposite? Well, you welcome the Holy Spirit. You consider the Holy Spirit. You invite the Holy Spirit. You listen for the Holy Spirit. You wait on the Holy Spirit every chance you get. This is why we have times of silence in church. This is why we have times of prayer, because it's just saying humbly, like, Lord, we can't do any of this stuff on our own. This depends on you. 
And so I'm wondering if today we can recommit our lives to this wild adventure of following Jesus by the power of the Spirit. You know, I don't want Life Church to be a boring place. Um, I was thinking about that a lot this past week. Like, in my tendencies for um, consistency and safety and control, I'm kind of wired that way. I could limit the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Holy Spirit, I don't want that. This is your church. I want this to be a place full of the life and the power of the Spirit. I want us to be an Acts 2 church, not an Acts 1 church, right? That's what we want. And I want that Holy Spirit to lead us out into the mission that he has for us. So I'm going to ask Jeannie to come and to close us out in prayer. Would you just pray with us together? Just say together and with one accord, like, Holy Spirit, we know we have you, but we don't want to resist you. We want to be led out by you. Amen? Thank you, Pastor. Holy Spirit, truly you are welcome here. And we, as your body of believers, we, Lord God, as your precious children, desire the greater gift of the Holy Spirit. That we would not be confined by our fears, by the safety of the walls of this building, but that we would go forth re-empowered, reignited, by your precious power, Holy Spirit. That we would not be a complacent people. A people caught up in the world. A people caught up in our own dilemmas and self. But a people ignited with the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, fully ignited with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I declare over you right now a fresh fire, a fresh fire of the Holy Spirit to fill you, to overwhelm you, and to cause you to rise up with the great authority that is within you. Breathe fresh, Holy Spirit. Open our minds to know and to understand all that we carry, all that we are because of you. That we would not be a complacent church that sits comfortably in our chairs, but desire to fully engage with the world to bring that power and authority. That we would truly know that through the gift of the Holy Spirit within us, we have the power to pray for people and to see them healed. We have the power to prophesy into people's lives and to bring them into a reality of who they are and whose they are. That we, as believers, filled with the greater gift are filled just as Jesus promised I must go so that the comforter may come I must go so that the Holy Spirit will come 
come in a new way, Holy Spirit, that would blow us away as we step out in authority and the promise of chosen people of God, holy people of God, set apart people of God, that we would see you fresh and new, Holy Spirit, and not believing like some that the Holy Spirit was for then, but not for now. But Holy Spirit, you always have been, you always are, and you always will be. And nothing about you has changed. Nothing about the Godhead has changed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come, breathe fresh life into your people into the church in the holy name of jesus we pray amen